Hey guys, my name is Alex, and if you're listening to this, it's because you're a patron of the Thousand Movie Project podcast, and I like that about you. Or maybe you're not. This being the end of a long and productive week of reading and podcasting, uh, I did five episodes this week, which I'm pleased with. I decided to do a long, chatty, Patreon-exclusive episode, but I'm going to whittle it down and do an abridgment for the main channel. So, if you are a regular listener of the show and you're wondering what kind of stuff is there for you in the event you want to join the Patreon, this is basically it. So I wanted to talk about some personal things and some news things, just shit that came up over the course of the week that didn't find its way into various podcast scripts, or in the case of the Cormac McCarthy news, I did do. I wrote like a six-page podcast script and then I looked over at it and I was like, there's no reason I should do this to someone. First thing I wanted to talk about, because I feel I should tell you constantly. I think I earned the right to tell you for now the 70th time and several times to come that I am, as of this week, I the beginning of this week, finished with Cuba Fruit, the book I've been writing all year. And now that it's done, I'm very relieved that it's done, but I'm also kind of haunted because my daily regimen is still kind of tailored to a life that was being led with a work in progress at the center of it. I still wake up at dawn, or before dawn, I get to the coffee shop as the sun is coming up, and then I start doing writing or reading, and mostly what I'm doing, working on now is the podcast, but also I'm getting these invasive thoughts about what I want to do with the next Cuba Fruit book, because I did conceive this as a series, and I'm like tentatively making notes about what I want to do, but then I tell myself like, hey, don't get invested, don't get your hopes up, because because if I can't get an agent for the first book, am I going to write a sequel to a book that nobody wanted? But I did some drawing this week, which I haven't done in a long time. I did a lot of reading, but still. I would go to the coffee shop, do my thing, come back to my apartment, sit at my desk, and like I just had this creative energy, I don't know what to do with it, and it started like really wigging me out. And so, being so thusly wigged, I went on Google and I typed in like, I just finished a very long creative project, what do now? Because I was just, I was like, I need to hear some input about this, and I'm sure there is some, and there was, conveniently. It was the very first blog post I came upon, and fucking, it was kind of brilliant. Or maybe it wasn't. I was just listening to an interview with Paul Auster, where he said, um, uh, great stories happen to people who can tell them. I think it's also the case that, like, great advice exists when it falls into the ear of a person who needs it. Basically, this woman was saying that she had just finished writing a book that she had been working on for a very long time. Now, same thing, but she was saying something like she felt the presence of the muse. And it was so confounding that the, here's the muse with me, this creative energy, and nothing is coming out on the page. And then she sort of reconfigured that sensation. And she said, it isn't the muse that's sitting beside me. It is accomplishment. There is a spectral embodiment of my huge fucking book-shaped accomplishment. And she is sitting on the chair beside me. And she's going to leave when she's ready. She's going to leave. This feeling of accomplishment is going to dissipate. But right now, it is, it is very vivid. And by trying to just jump into a new project, I am not allowing it to take place. 
And yes, it is very new agey and kind of flighty, but it does resonate with me because yes, it is a triumph to have finished a book. It is a great accomplishment, but I don't think it's totally different from grief. I don't feel sorrow at having Cuba fruit out of my daily life, but I do think there needs to be some kind of quote-unquote ceremonial reckoning with the fact that this major centerpiece of my life from the past year is now, at least temporarily, out of my hands. And so I'm trying to not hold myself accountable to the idea that any writing needs to be done right now, except maybe some podcast stuff. So that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. Now let's move on to the second, which is something to do with war. This week, uh, the two episodes of The Ezra Klein Show, which is my favorite podcast, they were both devoted to uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine. And most recently, on Friday, he interviewed Masha Gessen, who is a staff writer for The New Yorker, who has focused on Russia for many years now. And they touched on something that seemed very useful going forward, which was that even though it is very tempting and probably very valid to say that Vladimir Putin is something is quote-unquote unhinged, or he's delusional, psychotic, whatever. At the end of the day, this is sort of an adversarial relationship. It is a precarious one, and we have to navigate our way through it very responsibly. And in order to do that, you kind of have to try to inhabit your opponent's mind. Is he approaching this war with a mindset of the 1980s, the 1990s, the 1940s? Is he thinking about, like, the 1860s? And they did kind of agree he's bringing a sort of mid-19th century sensibility to this conflict. And something that they riffed on, which I kind of got a sense of in other things I was reading, but it's just basically that Putin is so dominated by his ego. Masha Gessen went so far as to say that she doesn't believe he would survive defeat, that personally, physically, he would die, maybe by suicide, maybe just his health would collapse, who knows. That being said, he has probably zero compunction about taking the planet with him. And so basically what they were talking about is however this war pans out, it needs to be resolved in such a way that Putin is allowed to not only to save face, he has to be able in some way to tell the Russian people that he won. In other words, He's going to have to be given something. He's going to have to be rewarded. Scary to think about that, but every time I look at Reddit, it seems like the sanctions are just eviscerating Russia harder and harder. And yeah, to be mired in this now for two weeks and to have no real idea of where it goes. Like, it was very difficult to keep an eye on this news story as it was initially unfolding two weeks ago, but now it seems almost harder, because even though, yes, there's this flourish of hope, now that you see the strength of Ukrainian resistance, it's also like, well, where the f how long does this go? And it looked for a while like, oh wow, Putin might have to back down from this, but now it's very clear he has no intention of backing down. I don't know, spooky shit, and I'm, I'm, and I'm spending so much time reading about it and watching coverage of it and looking at all sorts of photos and videos, but then I think, like, I'm not in the least bit equipped to offer my two cents about this unless I were to discuss it in terms of, like, how it feels 
to watch this whole thing unfold. And I wonder if that kind of just sort of expansive rumination is really constructive. Back maybe in May of 2020, I remember getting like the third or fourth consecutive issue of The New Yorker in which every single article was about COVID. And also I was getting notifications from The New York Times and The Miami Herald about COVID. And not to act as though I have no control over myself in, in these kinds of situations, but I do think that the ubiquity and the fucking flood of COVID coverage and discourse and speculation and conspiracizing is part of what made me start behaving as though the problem was resolved long before it was resolved. It is currently still unresolved. My point is, I wonder if by talking about the war in Ukraine, I am contributing a, a, an uncredentialed voice to what is already a pretty loud chorus of voices discussing this. Anyways, that was the second thing I wanted to talk about. Third thing is the fucking news about Cormac McCarthy. Basically, the news about Cormac McCarthy is that he has two novels coming out this fall. One is called The Passenger, and it's exactly 400 pages. And then the next one, which will be coming out a month later in November, is called Stella... Morris? And what's so exciting about this, and I, you know, I did, I wrote a long ass script and I was going to talk about this for like 30 minutes on the podcast, but it doesn't seem fair to anyone. There's two things about The Passenger that make its release so significant. The first one is that Cormac McCarthy is 88 years old. Although, you know, a few years ago, he made some remarks about the fact that he was working on three novels at once, and here we are, we're getting two of them. I do have a feeling that if we get that third novel, it'll be posthumous, might be incomplete. So there is something kind of woeful about the fact that this is going to be the last probably the last publication of Cormac McCarthy's life. And the reason it feels kind of sad is like, I discovered him and I started appreciating his work like three years after his previous novel came out, which was The Road in 2006. Then I didn't discover Cormac McCarthy till like 2011. And so I've never really experienced, now I'm just gonna have one upper, or I guess two opportunities to experience like going to the bookstore the day it comes out taking it home, trying to like speed through it, and then jumping onto the forums where people are discussing it and having that excited conversation of new discovery. One time, I was struck one time in college when my friend Bob was like, God, wouldn't it have been cool to have been in college in the 60s as the Beatles were releasing their most significant music? And yeah, it would have been cool to have experienced that shit as it was first percolating into the culture, but I think what's even cooler is to just get into college and it's all available, like, for free, online. You can just listen to all of it on YouTube or whatever. But now, with the Cormac McCarthy thing, it is, it's making me appreciative of the fact that, like, there is something to be said for being there, like the moment it splashed. Quentin Tarantino has talked about this in reference to the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves, which he's like, yeah, it's a good thriller. I maintain it's a good thriller, but watching that movie in theaters whenever it was 1995 or 1996 he's like the entire the the experience of seeing that with an audience for the first time everybody was so fucking tense throughout the screening that his experience of watching the movie speed with keanu reeves in theaters is championed in his mind as one of like his most treasured theatrical experiences ever Anyways, that's the first thing that is so, like, enchanting about the idea that McCarthy is recent, releasing these two books. The second thing that is so enchanting is the idea, and I, yeah, I'm obviously drinking the Kool-Aid and I have succumbed to the mythology of both this guy and this book, but he has been writing The Passenger for 40 years. Anyways, I'm super stoked about that, but, you know, I wrote that really long 
podcast script and I ended up not recording it because not many people are as passionate about this as I am. And yes, if I was like a really solid podcaster, I would be able to sort of communicate my passion in such a way that it would galvanize an audience into being passionate about the same thing. I don't think I even want to try it because there's a good chance that the book might suck and I would hate if my enthusiasm had proved, had indeed proven contagious. A bunch of people went out and bought this expensive hardcover in October and it turned out to be a complete dud. Anyways, that's one thing. Next thing I wanted to talk about was where Cuba Fruit is in the agenting querying process. So technically, Cuba Fruit, on the basis of sample pages that I have sent out, it has been rejected by two out of 21 agents, and the entire manuscript was requested by five of them, which is a good thing. I am currently sitting in a, a tense spot, the spot between submitting the full manuscript that they requested and getting feedback about their impressions of that manuscript. And it is very tense, I get nervous, I'm checking my email way too often, but um, I am also kind of trying to cherish it because just having five people say, hey, I was intrigued by the first 10 or 15 or 25 pages, can you please send me the whole thing? Just that, even though it's not glowing praise, it is someone in the industry saying, I have done something that has at least piqued their interest doesn't mean that I am going to live up to their expectations, doesn't mean I carry through with the promise that is apparently engendered in whatever sample they read. But I figure it's maybe important that I just try to appreciate this moment where I've received a little bit of affirmation from the publishing world and I've not yet gotten what I'm pretty sure is going to be the unified rejection of the publishing world, not because I think Cuba Fruit is a bad book, and not even because I'm being particularly pessimistic or nihilistic. I just know that it's kind of a chancy thing for any agent to want to stake their own income on, because bear in mind, agents earn very little money from their agency. They live mostly, I think, on commission. They take 15% of the publishing deal. So basically, for an agent who is already representing, let's say, you know, a dozen books that she has to read and you know make notes on and pitch to various editors at publishing houses, I could completely understand an agent saying, like, I fell in love with this, I really, really dug it, I just don't see how it would sell, so I'm gonna pass. And that would be kind of disappointing, but at the same time, I would feel okay with it. I, I would move on. I would recover. What I don't know is if I would go on to do the sequel that I have in mind that I'm really getting more and more eager to write. What I think I know is that it has kind of Western qualities, not cowboy shit, just like rural setting, small town, w wide open spaces. And as a result of that, I'm reading a bunch of Westerns at the moment. The one I'm really fucking seduced by is Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, which I had bought last year. And then the other sort of body of literature that's gonna inform the Cuba Fruit sequel in the event, you know, given what I intend to do tentatively, is sort of colloquially and broadly speaking, the Russian novel, which I've only ever dipped my toe into. I've read Brothers Karamazov and Crime and Punishment, but I've never fucking explored like Turgenev or Pushkin. And um, yeah, I don't know how deep I'm going to dive into this over the next two weeks that remain of my vacation, but um, well, that's it for now. But as always, thank you so Okay, the episode is not over. I recorded that on Saturday, and now it's Monday afternoon. I'm editing the episode together. So I took a break, and during the break, I um, checked my email, and I saw that I got my first 
rejection from one of the agents who had requested the full manuscript for Cuba Fruit. So, so the full manuscript was out with four agents for consideration. It is now out with three. And I got kind of, I started like fucking stewing about it because they, like I totally understand you're supposed to just invoke the Hyman Roth thing. This is the business we've chosen. There's nothing personal in any of this, but it's been a long time since I had an agent request a full manuscript. And so this agent requested it, got back to me fairly quickly. Normally it takes the industry standard is that you sort of allow for two to four weeks for an agent to get back to you. This one got back to me in the course of a week, maybe 10 days, but it was just like a one sentence rejection. Just said, hey, um, it's very well written, but I didn't connect with the writing. Good luck. And it was so fucking impersonal, but th th that's how it is. These, these agents are inundated with queries. I am sympathetic to the cause, but it's just this, it shows, it, it shows me again how fucking emotionally invested I am in this shit and that I don't, I might not have the barriers in place to sort of protect myself from being super wounded about its rejection when I obviously really fucking need to work on that or else just not submit the book to agents, not go the traditional publishing route and just commit entirely to indie publishing, which is an alternative that has been on my mind as both, as both a temptation and some a fucking repellent over the past few days because on the one hand, recently at a bar, I had my Kindle with me and I was looking for, like, I was scrolling through it for essays. I wanted to read something succinct and I came across my the last ebook that I published, which is called um, The Moon and Her Sister Turn 30 and Leave. I published it on my 30th birthday or like a couple days after. But so I opened it and I started rereading the, the like the concluding essay in that ebook. And I think the ebook is like 100 pages and that final essay is like 20 double spaced pages and I worked on it for a really long time and I remember like being super proud when I was done and being like wow every sentence is like screwed into place everything is exactly how I wanted. So I'm reading it at a bar the other night almost a year removed from its publication and I was just like this fucking sucks. I was just so mortified by it. It, it seemed so uh, Martin, the writer Martin Amos is always quoting Samuel Johnson, who talks about a certain kind of prose that reeks of the lamp, which suggests that the writer stayed up all night and kind of overwrote it, not in terms of, you know, too many words, but just you could tell the sentences are uh, crafted to the point of abuse. Like they were they weren't just rearranged and, and twisted around. They were molested. And that's how that last essay felt to me. And you know, if I self-publish something, because I, I can't get it published traditionally, I also don't have the sort of editorial remove that will give me a sense of whether this is actually good or not. Or Because as it is, the fifth draft of Cuba Fruit, it's sitting in a box, and I won't look at it again until this glow has dimmed. And certainly, if the next time I look at that fucking manuscript, every agent to whom I have submitted the book has rejected it, I am going to be applying a cold eye indeed. But the other thing that's happened in the past few days that has sort of made indie publishing seem titillating is something to do with the sci-fi fantasy writer um, Saunders. What is his last name? Brand no, Brandon Sanderson. He does these series where each vol there's eight or nine volumes and each volume is a thousand or twelve hundred pages. They're well written. They're mature. It's just he is just a natural and prolific writer and the prose goes down easy. And so his audience is fucking huge. It's quite niche. It's very much for people who have a sensibility and a patience for epic 
fucking fantasy and sci-fi, which is not the hugest slice of the publishing pie, but nonetheless, he has his audience and it's a very devout audience because he's also very sincere. Go on YouTube and you will see him participating in just about any interview that was offered to him. He's very gracious, very eloquent, very friendly. I don't, I don't remember if it was se several hundred pages or several thousand pages of unpublished fiction, and he says that he would like to release it independently, but in order to do so, he was going to have to raise... I, I forget. Now, let me fucking look it up. I'm in front of a computer. Okay, here's the sample. Um, Sanderson had launched a Kickstarter campaign to publish four brand new novels in hardcover, ebook, and audio editions, with swag boxes themed after some of the universes his works are set in, and he was asking for $1 million on Kickstarter. So he started the fundraising campaign, he broadcasted it to his many, many, many thousands of readers, and in the course of 72 hours, he had raised over $20 million. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be doing that, but the reason it has stayed in my mind is because, apart from the, the first tide of reactions online in the book world to that news of Brandon Sanderson raising independently $20 million to essentially open his own publishing service, the first wave of reactions was just awe, and people like, holy shit, didn't realize he was that popular or that his fans were that devoted. But then the next wave of reactions was like, what does this mean for the future of publishing. Why would a, an author like Brandon Sanderson, with a very loyal audience of several thousand readers, why would he submit his work to a publishing house where he is going to be handled by his editor as one of so many clients? He's going to have to make innumerable concessions in the editing process, and there's going to be a really fucking complicated contract about what percentage of sales he gets and how that percentage of residuals maybe changes from one region to the next, plus there are attendant obligations of, like, film rights, and you have to agree to appear at a certain number of public events. And what's interesting about those articles, especially when they come from periodicals that routinely write about the publishing industry, is that it seems whenever there's a news story that is galvanizing real speculation about the future of publishing, implicit in all the coverage seems to be a sensibility of, we all know that the publishing industry as it stands right now is not only fucked, but deservedly fucked. And so when I got this rejection from this agent today, there's a part of me that's like, I get it, it's business. And then there's an art a part of me that's like incredibly offended that it was such a curt dismissal. And then there's another part of me, probably, it's probably the, it's probably the, 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 the entire pie, just pain. Like, because anger is not a primary emotion. It's just anger is sadness with a hat. And so I was, I was basically just like devastated. Um, because I haven't really shown the whole book to anyone. And um, so here was like the first person to have a look at the full book. And I know she didn't read the whole thing. I don't know if she read more than 20 pages. But um, the fact that, you know, the very first reaction I received to um, someone getting the whole book is like, yeah, actually, I, I thought I was interested in this, but never mind. But I gotta fucking grow up and I have to... And if I'm really this consistently bent out of shape by the publishing world, then I ought to just fucking self-publish. And if, yeah, I publish something independently online, and then six months later I look at it and I'm absolutely fucking mortified, I can take it down. Or I can resign myself to the thing that I sometimes tell myself I'm resigned to, even though clearly I am not, which is the attitude that, like, there is no doubt about the fact that it is the best I could do. Cuba Fruit is the absolute best work I am capable of doing. And if, if that is not good enough to get me published, 
in, in sort of the general traditional publishing outfit, then another big barbed pill I might have to swallow is the fact that I will never gain entry into that fucking hall of power. And I, uh, from everything I'm reading, it seems that many very successful authors don't want to be there either. Anyways, that is the real end of the episode. Kind of a downer note, but that is why you're subscribed to the Thousand Movie Project Patreon page. Thank you for being a patron. Sorry to fucking riff about something such a bummer. I do think for posterity's sake, whatever I end up doing, um, whatever ends up happening to this or future projects, I think it's good for that I have this record of like, when the blows came, how did I handle them? Doesn't mean the blows are ever going to stop coming. Just, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to be able to track my reaction to uh, this whole pursuit. Anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, talk to you next time.